Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Hey, at Liverpool One Church, what can I say? Heroes, all of you, we love you. Men, brothers, uncles, we love you all. You know, Josh and I had a conversation this week and we were talking about Father's Day and he said, Emma, you're preaching again on Father's Day. I was like, I know, I don't know how this happens. We have a rota that we abide by when it comes to preaching and speaking, but the last few Father's Days and Mother's Days seem to have fallen on me. And I was like, I don't know what I've really got to say to the men. And then Josh said, Josh said something that bothered me. He said, have you noticed that every time you do a Mother's Day, it's always a message about girls, we love you, we value you, we esteem you. And he said, every time you talk to the men, it's like, right guys, let's get it together. So I'm just putting it out there for Josh's sake, right at the very beginning and saying, men, we love you, we esteem you, we value you, we couldn't do life without you, we want you in our lives and in our houses. Now we're going to get it together. Okay. Who remembers um, a TV show throughout the 1990s? It was a British sitcom called Men Behaving Badly. I think if you're under the age of like, 30, 35, you might not remember it, but it was um, Martin Clunes, uh, yeah, that's his name, wasn't it? Martin Clunes and Neil Morrissey, and they were two flatmates. They were two teenage student-type lads who were flatmates trying to figure out life together and all of their antics and this sitcom, it was ridiculous, it was stupid and it was hilarious all at the same time as they tried to navigate their way through life. Well, the very next decade found me raising a house full of boys and as they grew older, I would often think back to that program and think, why did they call it men behaving badly when it is in fact men behaving ordinarily? <laughs> like I couldn't understand it because there is something in you guys, a way that you are, a type of banter, a sense of humour, we just don't get. <clears throat> like it's not, it's not on our radar. I find my entire household falling apart, laughing at stuff and I'm just going, that is stupid. I mean, let's take men versus man versus food. What on earth is that reality TV show? Like, I'm going to show the burger who's boss. And a man sits down just to eat this like king size meal and everyone cheers him on and the men think it's great and it's hilarious and it's entertaining. Like, can you imagine if that was a woman with a huge Victoria sponge? We'd be going, that's gross. Like, ooh, we just have this way about you that we don't understand and that we don't get. You are incredibly brave. You go to war, yet you shudder at the thought of having your legs waxed. I don't understand you. Most of you don't like to spend time in the kitchen. Some men do spend time in the kitchen, but a lot of men don't like to spend time in the kitchen. But roll out the barbecue and it's outdoors and it's dangerous and it's fire. Oh, they're all in. 
loving it. Change the oil on your car, but can't get you to change the toilet roll in the bathroom. I struggle with that one. I'm like, just change the loo roll. And if ever you ask a man, what are you thinking about? You get a one word answer, which is nothing. How can nothing be so interesting? Like you think about nothing all the time. Every time I'm asking you, what are you thinking? It's always nothing. I'm like, well, nothing must be so interesting because you spend so much time thinking about it. And all those facts are fun, but it makes this point that God designed us and wired us, men and women, differently. And he did that for reason and for purpose. God thought that the perfect way to build a perfect family would be to take all that she is, all of the female, and all that he is, all of the male, and bring them together. Our differences are not to work against each other. Girls, you don't marry him and then try to change him. You chose him as he was, you're married to him. We don't try and change each other. We don't work against each other. But our differences are to complement each other because God thought that hair and all of her hormones and him and all of his testosterone would bring together and build the perfect family. But do you know that he thought no different about his church? That in God's mind, it takes both men and women, male and female, picking up their roles and responsibilities to build the house of God in a healthy way. So, I want to talk to you for this time that I have left, not about men behaving badly, but men behaving godly. And before you switch off on me and go all socks and sandals and comb overs in your mind, I just want to put it out there and say from the off, God does not want to change you. He doesn't want to change you. I am addressing the men of the house today. But girls, I believe that, you know, first of all, if you're looking for a husband, or maybe you have a brother or a father that you could influence, we need to listen up to this too. Because sometimes we bring the men into the church, then we want to change them to conform to a certain way in a certain pattern. Let me tell you, God does not want to change you. He wants to save you, and He may want to change some of your habits, but you how he wired you to be a man. He does not want to change that. All that makes you hairy and scary and masculine, God does not want to change that about you and neither does his church. And I'm putting it out there. And I want to base this talk on a scripture that is found in Joel 3. Just one little line. Wake up, the mighty man. Wake up. If these past 18 months have taught us anything at all, it has taught us that life is precious and life is short. And if there was ever a time upon the earth that the men need to be attentive and alert to the culture and the climate that we are living in, then it is now. God is calling for some mighty men to wake up. To wake up, it means to be alert to be attentive, to be conscious to the moment, to, to, to be present. How many know that you can be in the moment but not be present? 
You can be there in person, but you're not engaged. And this is what God is talking about. That's what it looks like to do life asleep. And God's looking for some men who are going to wake up and be present in the moment because there are many men who are working their jobs asleep, raising their kids asleep, existing in their marriage asleep to what is really going on and what is really happening. And God is looking for the mighty men who are going to wake up. Do you know in the Hindu faith and in the Islamic faith, the fellowship of men far outweighs the number of women. It is only in the Christian faith that the women outnumber the men in attendance to church. There is a real absence of men within the church. There is a real absence of fighters and risk-takers and influencers and leaders within the house of God. But when God talks about being a mighty man, He's not just talking about being all buff and masculine. The Bible shows us that there were so many different characters and types of men, but God had purpose for them all. So I don't want you to think in your mind that God could not use me and God would not have a purpose for me because. And then comes forth your excuse, a flaw in your style, a flaw in your character, a way that you are. I'm telling you now that God has purpose for everyone. The Bible tells us about Samson with his long hair and his bulging biceps. But then you have Zacchaeus and the Bible talks about him being short and stocky. You have David, who was a giant slayer, and Gideon, who was a naysayer. And let's talk about Jacob and Esau, two brothers in the Bible. The Bible describes Esau as being a hunter, gatherer, wild and hairy. I mean, the Bible really does give description at times. He's a big, hairy man. And then it talks about his brother, Jacob, and it alludes to the fact that Jacob likes to hang out in the kitchen and spend time in his mother's company. But God used them both. God had purpose for them both. How about Saul? He was a king and knew how to give command. Joseph was a dreamer. He's in la-la land. But God had purpose for them both. So we're not talking about a style because we're all made differently. And you guys, you are made different to one another. Some like football, some like golf. Some don't like sports at all. Some tattoo their bodies, others collect stamps for hobbies. But God has purpose for you all in his house. I don't know how we got from the type of guys that followed Jesus during his time on the earth to the stereotype Christian man that we picture or that the world pictures today. I don't know how we got from those type of men. Because can I just tell you what those type of men were not? They were not what you see painted in the stained glass windows. They were not gentle, kind, soft men. These men that followed Jesus were real and raw and ready. Most of the men that followed Jesus, hello, would not even get in the church today. That's the truth. They might get in this one but they probably wouldn't get on a hole in the church today 
because they were burly, rough and ready men. Because do you know what? Boys follow men. And the amount of men that followed Jesus during his time on earth was so great that when it came to counting them numerically, they'd never even used to count the women and the children. Not because they were not important, but because Jesus understood. If I have the attention and the fellowship of the man, the family will follow. Jesus understood that behind every man stands a woman and children. Jesus understood that even if you are a single guy, there is a seed of a family within you. And if I can get the attention of the man, the family will follow. The men that followed Jesus were real men. So I don't know how we, we got this to this place where Christian men are afraid to talk about going to church. Afraid to tell their work colleagues, yeah, you know, I I went to the house of God on Sunday. Why? Because you don't want to be stereotyped. You don't want to be mocked. You don't want to be laughed at. But I'm here to tell you today, real men follow Jesus. And God is calling the mighty men to wake up. Jesus himself, he found 12 men to be close to him. They were his team. They were his mates. They were his crew. They were his buddies. And he said, you know what? With these 12 men, I'll change the world. And he did. But let me tell you about these 12 men. The disciples, they were a right bag of mixed testosterone. They They were just such, they were like such a completely different mixed bag of characters. You would look at it and you would go, that would never ever work. A mixed bunch. They all had careers and occupations before they they left everything and went to follow Jesus. So you had Luke, okay. Luke's the doctor. He's all belt and braces, health and safety. He's the guy who's like, if they're going up the mountain, he's got the first aid kit and he's following them all. He's like, let's not picnic too close to the edge, Jesus, because someone might go over. That was Luke and all his funky uh, traits. And then you had Matthew. Matthew's the money man. He's the tax collector. He's all about the money, 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 making money, money, money. He's a bit like, you know, uh, maybe if we took a few other people on the boat trip, Jesus, and charged them, we could make a bit. You know about the um, five loaves and two fish, Jesus? I think with your gift of multiplying and my gift of marketing, if you sold the fish and sold the bread, we could make a fortune, we could make a profit all for the ministry. That was Matthew's head. And then you had like Peter, James, and John, four of them who were fishermen. And Bible scholars tell us there was another four of them who were farmers. Well, the fishermen and the farmers would have stunk. They would have been the B.O. boys. They would have been like with a few little cuss words every now and again. They would have been whistling at all the girls at the well going to fill the water bucket up. They'd have got them in loads of trouble. And then there was Judas. Judas was the church treasurer. He looked after the church finance. Only turns out he was a thief. And he was taking as much as was being put in. And I'm not looking right. But that's what they were doing. And then there was Simon. And the Bible describes Simon as being a zealot. It says of Simon, Simon was the zealot because he was into his politics. So every time there was a protest or a march, who's at the forefront? Ra, 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 Simon. This is a right bag of following Jesus. I mean, this is the men, 
that Jesus chose to follow him, hand-picked. Don't you find it fascinating that God did not pick one religious man to follow Jesus? Isn't that amazing? He went, I'm getting into the world I'm going to pick a type of man from every walk of life, real men, raw men, rough, ready, just men, men, and I'm going to change the world with them. And not only that, I'm going to send them out to preach the gospel, and I'm going to establish my, my church upon this group of men. They were real normal men. They got hangry when they were hungry, and they didn't always see eye to eye. They didn't always get on. You know, I lived at home with, in my home with uh, four boys, four men. One man, three boys. Let's get it right, Emma. But as they grew up, as the boys grew up, whenever there was um, a disagreement, it got heated. I mean, really heated. I mean, it got incredibly heated. All this energy and this testosterone flying around. I mean, there's a scripture in Luke 13, and it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I wasn't sure if it was talking about hell or my household when I used to read that scripture, because at home it got heated when they got angry. But do you know that men are fueled that way with a type of passion I mean, just watch them at the football, observe them in a traffic jam, listen to them playing, uh, talking politics. There is this room that comes out of them. There is like, like a dog with a bone. It's a tenacious passion. But God intended that to be channeled for the building of his house. He never intended it to be aggressive towards one another. Do you know Peter and Paul nearly had a full-on fight? This is like bits of the Bible nobody teaches you, right? Peter, who preached the word of God and 5,000 people got saved and Jesus called him a rock and said, I'm going to establish my church on this man. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and took the gospel out of Israel, out of uh, and into Europe and Two of the most godly men, I think, that the Bible writes, nearly come to a full-on fight. It says this in Galatians 2.11, Now when Peter came to Antioch, I, meaning Paul, withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. Withstood him to his face. Have you ever seen two boxers before a fight? And they're all puffed up with the chest and the nose to nose and there's steam coming from the nostrils and they're like, I will take you on. This is what's happening here in the Bible between two godly men. I mean, Antioch nearly experienced its first smackdown roar right here in Greece. These were real men. Our church needs real men. We don't want the men to be women. We want you to be men within the church. And we as women, we need our men to be men. So what does it look like to be a mighty man? 1 Corinthians 16 says this. Be watchful. Stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. God called you to be a man and there is an expectation on you to stand in your home and in his house like a man. 
So let's break that down, be watchful. The phrase comes from, um, from the watchmen that would watch from the city walls. The, the, um, the, wall, the cities in, in the ancient days, in biblical ancient days, they would be called fortified cities. They had walls built around them and there was turrets, watchtowers strategically placed within the wall. The watchmen that were on the walls, they were on the lookout. While the people dwelt within the city, the watchmen could see across the horizon and they could foretell what was gonna happen before something could, was happening. They could tell if an army was advancing they could tell if the enemy was coming. They could tell if there was a wild animal about to attack the city. The people in the city could sleep safe and sound while the watchmen were at their post. But if the watchman fell asleep, then the thief could come in the night, ransack their family and destroy their homes. God is asking you guys to wake up and be watchmen. Be watchmen in your families. You need to be looking out over your marriages. You need to be looking out over your places of work. You need to be able to forecast what is gonna come so that you can make the right preparations and the right choices along the way. Don't be found sleeping. The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And he will do that in your life. He will do that in your marriage. He will do it with your kids and he will do it in your place of work if you are found to be asleep. So God's calling his mighty men to be watchful. When you are a boy, you look after yourself. But when you are a man, you have so much more to look out for and watch over. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When is a change of season? When I was a man, then when I was a boy, and then when I became a man. Seasons change and you are not boys anymore, you are men. So there is so much more for you to watch out and watch over. Let me tell you, if you are dating, you have a responsibility to be the watchman over that relationship. So watchmen, stand at your, at your towers. Watch out for your family. Can I tell you as fathers, watch your children's phones Watch what is being played on the internet in your household. I am so thankful to God for a good watchman over our family. You know, we, we decided a long time ago, Luke taught the boys, your phones, they go on the landing of a night. They don't go into your bedrooms. Nothing good happens after midnight. So let's put the phones out on the landing. Do you know they do that voluntarily now? It's not even something we have to say because I had a good watchman over the family. It is not, an, it's not um, invading their privacy, it's good parenting. Be watchmen. Stand firm. Standing firm speaks of being immovable. Be immovable in your values. Immovable in your core values and your belief systems. Be immovable in your morals. Don't compromise who you are to change according to the people who you are around. Don't be one type of guy when you're in the church and around this bunch of people and then another type of guy when you're out on a night out with your work colleagues. Don't change who you are according to the circumstances that you are in. But don't try and dilute the Word of God to fit your lifestyle, but rather be convicted by the Word of God and allow the Word of God to change you from the inside out. Be who you are. Stand firm. Don't be moved. Act like men. 
We don't want men in the church to act like women. We want men in the church to act like men. We need you to assume that role in your family, in your household, and we need you to assume that role within the church because there is a different type of responsibility that has been placed upon you to take headship in your marriage. It's your marriage. Lead it. They're your kids. Lead them. They're your finances. Organize them. There is a different weight of responsibility that is being put on you guys that is not on us women. And let me tell you something. Women don't lead because they're control freaks. I'm not even going to go down that road today. I believe in women in leadership. I am a woman in leadership myself. But there is an authority that is placed on men. It's just a, just a kingdom principle that is different to what is on our lives. And women don't just lead because they're control freaks, by the way, but they will lead when the men don't. Let me give you an example. There are many women out there who are doing the role of both mother and father because a father has abdicated his responsibilities to be a dad, to be present in the house. So there are times when women have to step up and they have to fulfill that role. You know, in Acts 16, there's a really quirky story. And it's of Paul and uh, he goes over to Philippi in Greece and, um, and he's, it's the Sabbath. He's looking for a church. He wants to go to church. It's the Sabbath. And he's all over Philippi. Only it says this in the Bible. It tells us that no synagogues could be found. In fact, in the whole of Philippi, no places of worship could be found. And that was in part due to the fact that to establish a religious meeting place, the law required there had to be at least 10 men. 10 men who would be responsible for the running and the governance of the place. And the sad thing is, in the whole of Philippi, not 10 men could be found but the women wanted to worship. <laughs> the women wanted to have church and they weren't gonna be granted a building because there wasn't any men. So do you know what they did? They used to go down by the river, they would do their washing and they'd have church at the same time. And they'd be rubbing the socks and they'd be worshiping God and they'd be rubbing the laundry and they'd be having a prayer meeting because the women weren't gonna stop just because no man rose to the responsibility. And it's quite hilarious because Paul finds himself down there in the middle of all the laundry with all the women having a prayer meeting having this time. It was run by a woman called Lydia because no man took responsibility, Lydia did. Because no man would teach the word of God, Lydia did. In our generation, on our watch in the year 2021, my prayer is that of Joel 3. May the mighty man wake up to the hour that we are living in today. It goes on in our scripture to say, be strong. And be strong is not about flexing your muscles. Being strong is talking about integrity. It, it takes a strong man to say, I am sorry. It takes a strong man to say, I, I got it wrong. It takes a strong man to ask for forgiveness. It takes a strong man to say no when you are tempted. So God is asking you to be strong, to be strong from the inside out. In all that you do, be, let all that you do be done in love. Can I tell you, you can have a disagreement in love. You can have conflict in love. You can bring discipline and correction 
in love. In other words, if you're the type of guy that flies off the handle, if you get hot-headed and angry, that is not a godly pattern. And that is when you are misusing your energy and misusing your passion. It says here, let all that you do be done in love. You can have a disagreement, but you can keep an attitude of love. Here it is in Proverbs 15:18. It says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. But one who is patient and calm, one who is patient calms a quarrel. Don't act off your emotion. Uh, you know, I could relate this to both men and women. We're all the same. If you're screaming at your kids, screaming at your husband, or yelling at your wife, it's going to achieve nothing. Be calm, calm down, be patient, think about what you want to talk about, and then say it. If you can lead your household well, you'll be a natural kingdom leader. You know, the first time the word mighty men was used in the Bible, it was to describe the type of men that gathered around David. It gathered, they gathered around David, and it was prior to David being king. And it talks about how David was on the run from King Saul who wanted to kill him. And so he ran to the cave of Adullam and he hid there in the cave of Adullam. But it said when his friends and his family found out that he was there in hiding, they began to gather around him. They began to come and find him. Listen to the type of men that gathered around David. First Samuel 22. They began to come. The men who were in trouble, the men who were in debt, the men who were discontented, the men who were misfits. These were the type of men who gathered around David, men who had a past that they wished they could forget, men who were in trouble over something that they'd done, men who were, who were um, up before the courts for things that they had, crimes they had committed, men who had committed adultery, men who had sinned, men who had got it wrong in life, they began to gather around David. And the Bible says the number of them grew to over 400 of them. And do you know out of that 400, David produced one of the mightiest, greatest armies that the world has ever seen. In order to be a mighty man, it's not about what you've done and what you haven't done. It's not about what your character is or isn't like. It's about gathering together for a purpose that is greater than yourself. And here's the thing, men need other men around them. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot do life alone. And some of you think, I'm not doing life alone. I've got my wife, you know, and I've got my kids. And I know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being part of an army, being part of a team of men. I love what Luke said last week when he said that the first issue in the Garden of Eden was not sin, it was isolation. When God said it's not good for man to be alone. We often use that talking about marriage when he brought the woman and all that is right. But I think there was so much more to it than just that. I think God looked at Adam and said, oh, his mind goes off balance when he's doing life on his own. Oh, it's just not healthy. He needs some camaraderie around him. He needs to be part of something that is bigger than himself. He needs an energy to run with. He needs a force. Man needs to be part of a pack. Man, it's not good to be alone. Men need company, they need friends, they need a group, a team, a cause. 
You know, your work colleagues, they're not always your true friends. You get friendly with them, but you're in an enforced environment together. You can be friendly with your neighbour, and that is until you move house and then it dwindles. You can find a friend through a common interest. You like the footy? I like the footy. Hey. But actually, that's a really immature way of just basing a friendship on because that's a bit like school. You know, you, you like Pokemon, I like Pokemon. Do you want to play out? It's kind of that kind of level. But men who gather for a common cause, particularly men who gather under the name of Jesus for the sake of building his church, will find a band of brothers who have a strength that is not common to this world. Men who are unapologetically Christ followers, men who are unashamedly worshippers that come together for one cause. You need to find a band of brothers who will carry you when you need carrying. We all remember the story in Luke, in Luke 5 when there was a man who was laid out on a stretcher and four of his mates picked up that stretcher because they identified my friend needs Jesus and they took him to the house where Jesus was only the crowd would not allow them to get in because it was so dense with people so these men they got up on the roof and they ripped off the roof tiles and they lowered their friend through the roof to Jesus you need friends in your life like that who are not gonna give up, who are gonna say, no, you need Jesus. There is something in your life that I know that only Jesus can touch, only Jesus can heal. They lowered their friend through the roof and I just think this is really, really incredible line in verse 20. He says, Jesus looked up as this guy was coming down and when the guy was on the floor, it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the man. And he forgave him of his sins. The guy on the stretcher did nothing. The guy on the stretcher lay there. When Jesus saw the faith of his friends, the one who carried him, if you're doing life in isolation, who is there to carry you? At times when you need carrying, you need to be part of a team. You need to be a band of brothers who will cover you when you need covering. I don't know if you are footballers or you're watching the Euros at the moment. My, it's on constantly in my house. And last week, I think it was only like the second game in and it was between um, Finland and Denmark. And a young, fit footballer, Christian Eriksen, just collapsed to the pitch. One minute he's just running and the next thing he just dropped like a sack. And anyone that was watching it, it was shocking, it was harrowing. As the paramedics run onto the pitch and they began to do CPR and you know, this is not good, this is game over. And they were trying to get his tongue out of his mouth and turn him on his side and it was just pandemonium. But the most commendable, beautiful thing that I witnessed at that match was when his team created a human shield around him because the media swooped in and the drones went up and the world wanted to see what was going on and everybody wanted to have an opinion. And his teammates created, they stood with their backs to Ericsson and they created a human shield around him. You need friends like that, a band of brothers who are gonna protect you when you're going through your stuff, who are not gonna let the unluckers look on, who are not gonna let the people have their say and have their opinion over who, what you've done and why you did and what they think. Listen, Ericsson fell because of a heart issue. And every one of us, male and female, but I'm talking to you guys, are all susceptible to fall into a heart issue at some point in your life. The heart goes off. The heart goes wrong. 
the heart becomes hard, the heart becomes cold, the heart becomes disconnected, the heart wanders. You need a band of brothers who are going to create that shield around you, who are going to say, we know you're going through some stuff, but we are going to protect you. You need a band of brothers, finally, who are going to go fishing with you. Have you ever heard of the expression, gone fishing? It's not always meaning literal fishing. It just means gone fishing, I'm checking out. I'm out of here, I'm done, I'm uncontactable, I'm just chilling, I'm having some time off, I'm having some time out. There is this story about the disciples and it's found in John 21. Let me just abbreviate what what has happened here is the disciples have been on this emotional roller coaster like this. They've seen Jesus, they've followed him and all of his miracles and then they've seen him beaten, tortured, hung on a cross. And if that was just not emotional overload enough, the next thing they know, the dead comes back to life. I mean, they cannot get their heads around this. They've never seen a sci-fi movie before. It's like they can't understand what's happening. And not only does the dead come back to life, but they all gather in the upper room and and then Jesus appears and he doesn't come through the door. He kind of floats through the wall and appears to them all. And and then he's going back to heaven and all this is going on. And uh, Peter makes this statement, which just makes me laugh. Peter says in John 21, he says, Peter said, I'm going fishing. He was a fisherman, don't forget. And the next line is, we'll come too, they said. Peter's like, okay, I'm done. I'm getting on the lake. I'm going to sit with me fishing. I'm just getting out of here. And his mate said, we'll come too. Do you know what they will have done on that boat all night? Nothing. Guess what they will have been thinking about all night? Nothing. They'll have just bobbed up and down and looked at the stars. Imagine us girls on that boat. Oh, did you see him when he come through the wall? I thought Mary was going to faint. I was going to have to pick her up and so we got the water. We'd have never have stopped talking about it. You need brothers that you can just hang with for no reason at all, that you can just zone out with, that you can just chill with, that you can think about nothing with. The next line's even more hilarious because it says, and they caught nothing. Of course, they didn't catch anything because it wasn't about the fishing. It was about hanging, having men to hang with. If I'm on the boat, no one can ring me. No one can text me. No one can ask me questions. No one can message me. I just need men to chill with. I love something that has started up in Liverpool One Church. There's a few things that I love. I love the lads that all gather and play footy on a Monday night. That's gone fishing. I love that Steve Fox has started this this. Um, gathering, men only gathering thing where they all go hiking up mountains in Wales. I don't understand how that's even fun, but apparently it is. And he takes them just trundle up mountains and Luke went with them a couple of weeks ago and he came back. You know what I asked him? Was it good? Yeah. What would you all talk about? Nothing. I'm like, but you were with them for six hours? Like, how'd you talk about nothing? Because you know what? It was just a gone fishing day. I just don't need to talk about work, wife, kids, church, nothing. I just need my band of brothers to hide. When you find Jesus, you'll find your brothers. Thanks for joining us today. 
We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.